Hey everybody, Coach Eric Orton here calling in from Jackson Hole, Wyoming and excited to be on. I'm a Born to Run coach for Christopher McDougall and the, the great story we had in Born to Run and been ultra coaching for the last 20 some years and really excited to talk with Rob and uh, kind of kick off this Born to Run 2 extravaganza we've got going on. So off to you, Chris. I got to say that I am probably Eric Orton's greatest creation. If Eric Orton is Dr. Frankenstein, I am the monster he brought to life and set loose on the world. If we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire, the possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. A great cause. Oh, thank you. I respect that, man. So. Keep doing what you do, it, man. Keep inspiring. For all you kids out there, stay safe and stay strong. Hey, everyone. It's the Training for Ultra podcast. Scott Jurek here. I was physically totally wrecked. I, I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? decided if I could, you know, finish a 50-miler, I could probably run across the country. 100 miles is not that far. I am into it. Okay. I really want to, to feel the pain of running for a long time. Welcome to episode 218 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name's Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra, and we have a great episode. We're talking to Christopher McDougall and Eric Orton, authors of Born to Run 2, The Ultimate Training Guide. So sort of a dream interview here. Check out my Instagram page, Training for Ultra, for a giveaway. I'm going to give away two copies of their book. And then Tannery Outdoors is also going to give away two sunblocks and two lip balms. So we'll have four winners in total. Sort of like a perfect situation here. You're, you're putting together this new book. Both of you have written, I I would say, several of the top 10 running books uh, ever published. And now now you're putting together the ultimate training guide on the Training for Ultra podcast. I mean, seriously, thank you guys for joining me. Oh, I'm, I'm happy. I'm ha- really happy to have this conversation and especially to reach out to the exact kind of listeners that you've been educating. I've been doing my best. And I mean... Not going to get emotional here, but both your guys' books have had profound impacts on on my life in a very positive way, and I've done as best as I could, kind of paying it forward, synthesizing some of the takeaways in my own book, and yeah, it's it's really cool to um, have you guys both on, and this sounds like a, a very exciting project. It sounds like it's something new, which... I want to open up with that. I mean, whoever wants to take it, I want to hear why um, this is so different than, you know, the other very well-known books that you guys have put out. I, you know, no, I'll, 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 go, I'll, go for I'll it, Chris. Start. Yeah. You know, the thing about it is that, you know, when I wrote Born to Run, I was very careful about not doing one thing and that was to tell anybody else how they should be trained i was very reluctant and actually got a lot of 
squeeze from my editor because he really wanted me to lay out like a day-to-day plan for exactly what I did. And I'm like, no, no, dude, I am not ready for that at all. I am very new to this sport. I'm writing this book from a position of student, of grateful practitioner who seems to have pulled something off one time, but I was definitely not trying to position myself at all as a guy who knew anything about running. I was a busted down guy who had given up on running years earlier, put myself in the hands of, I thought, a really innovative and smart coach. But I wasn't sure if this thing actually had any legs. I didn't know if I had just gotten away with a one-time lucky deal or if this was something that was going to be with me for the rest of my life. And it was only after really 15 years had passed that I could look back and think, wow, you know, what Eric told me back in 2004 in City Park in Denver was true. That if you change your behavior and you master the craft of running, you can run joyfully and healthfully without problems for the rest of your life. Now, Eric, Eric, for your book um, that you previously published, was it sort of the opposite at all for you? Like feeling like you wanted to put together a more kind of rigorous guide as opposed to, uh, you know, telling such, you know, such a, a good story? Yeah. So for, for The Cool Impossible, I, I wanted to really speak to the reader and make them feel like they were training with me here in Jackson Hole. So uh, as you know, each, each chapter is, is a chapter uh, is a day with me and virtually in, in Jackson Hole. And that that's kind of uh, um, a, a big, I, I just wanted to really bridge that gap of really speaking to people on an individual basis in, in how I wrote that. Yeah. And Kind of getting back to your original question and Chris's response too is that hey we're 15 years later from Born to Run, and I think what's from my perspective, you know, Chris says he didn't know if it had legs. I knew it had <laughs> legs. <laughs> I knew it worked. But what what happened in those 15 years is that I heard from thousands and thousands of people all over the world, and I was able to build upon that and really understand how to coach people from a distance and and in different ways that resonates with them of what they need to hear to really learn. And we'll talk more about this later, I'm sure, but how you train and how you coach really depends on how you speak to each individual's way of learning. And that's what, from a coaching perspective, these 15 years helped me that then went into Born to Run 2. And so what we put in those pages can help every runner out there. You, you mean we don't all learn the same? I'm just Not I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> you're, yep. ta- you're talking to the guy that can't, you know, barely made it into college. So yeah, I get that. And that applying yep. that to running and, and coaching runners is a beautiful thing. I mean, honestly, I... I don't even want to go down that avenue because we'll just talk all about that. But I mean, I want to hear what aspects of that ended up making it into the book. Oh, shoot. Okay, sorry, I think I dropped out. No, no problem. 
I'm back. Okay, I think I just dropped out of range. Okay, I'm back in again, I think. Okay. Yeah, I made the mistake of trying to wander from the house and flipped out. (laughs) Rephrase that again, Rob. Uh, Chris, are you training right now? Are you on a... Oh, you know, that's an interesting question. Um, (laughs) Because at at the very moment, I was trying to sneak down to the beach and see what the waves are like. Uh, and <laughs> so that's what my training is. If the water's high, then that's the training for the day. And as for the more long-term question, you know, it's funny. I have lost pretty much any appetite I ever had for races, but I've developed a real hunger for weird stuff. So there's a couple of runs I've heard about recently. Uh, our friend uh, Matt Davis in Atlanta has a uh, run he does twice a year where you run all the way around the circumference of the city of Atlanta. It's about a 30 mile run. And he does that in February and July. Yikes. So I'm like, Oh man, I want to do that. And then our friends at pioneers and trailblazers in Boston created their own 26 point true marathon because they say, you know what, man, uh, what do you mean Boston marathon? Like 90% of it's in the suburbs. That's not Boston. So they created their own, <laughs> Boston Marathon, like the 26 point true, which is through the inner city neighborhoods of Boston, like Roxbury, Dorchester. And I am like lit up for that in April. So I am training for stuff, but mostly because the weirdness of it. I mean, that that's awesome to hear. Um, and then Eric, I mean, you're, you're talking about people, each individual learns a little different and, you've kind of tailored your, your coaching over the years to that kind of like fundamental philosophy, how much of learning differently ends up making it into the ultimate training guide? Because this is a book and I had a a sneak peek at it. It looks amazing. It looks totally different than anything I've ever seen from you guys. And like how much of that concept, Eric, went into, uh, went into the book? Oh, a hundred percent of it. And, and here's the deal is it's, it's getting the athlete and the runner to switch from thinking they need to learn more to putting them in an environment in a training environment. So they feel what proper is. If we're talking about run form or even strength or, or even the, the, the training zones that they're doing is that it's all based around understanding how the body feels so they can replicate that feeling. And hundred percent of what that goes into the book. And, and so I, I think so many people, especially when we talk about run form is that they, they, they want to know what they look like and they want to know if they look right. And they, they film themselves and they under, they try to think, Oh, since it's not coming to me, maybe I need to learn more, but we put in a five minute run form fix. You can learn, you can learn running in five minutes. It's then putting the practice into place for that to that endurance to take hold, and so that's really kind of creating this feeling of of doing it and, and seeing it as a practice um, that is 100 percent in the book. That's hey, hey, Rob, that's if, really interesting. If there, two, if there are two things which make my brain explode with frustration, it's here. It's hearing these two phrases. One is we're all an experiment of one, and the other one is listen to your body. So the first one, we're all an experiment of one. What the hell does that mean? That means nothing. 
because it means that everybody just do whatever you want because you're you're your own individual rocket ship just hurtling through space. And the second thing is like listen to your body. Well, you know what? You don't speak your body's language. You guys are speaking two different languages. Your body evolved in the Stone Age. You know, we still have the same raw componentry as like Cro-Magnons. Our body has not really changed biomechanically in a long time, but we don't speak the language of Cro-Magnon. We're living in the 21st century. We speak the language of push a button and food magically appears at your door. You know, we have a body that evolved at a time when you had to basically fight your food to the death in order to eat it. And now all you got to do is have someone bring it to you. And so those two things about, you know, listening to your body and experiment of one, that's what we really tried to dispel in this book. What we wanted to do was come up with a way so people could learn to feel when things are right. Not having to consult Strava or uh, a Fitbit or a chest strap, but do things like, if you ever watched like Steph Curry shoot a three, and you know sometimes he'll shoot the three and he'll turn away from the basket and be walking away without even bothering to check whether it went in because he knows it went in. Yeah, That comes from um, understanding what your body feels like. And so that's how we wanted to teach everything and not just running form, but, but fitness, footwear, your own uh, eating plan. We want to put everything into a language where people can actually feel the difference instantly and know if they were on course or straying away. I like it. I, I like when you take kind of those common phrases and kind of flip them on the flip them on their head and kind of rebuild people's understanding of, of something. I've said, listen to your body quite often. Most, most of the time it's like an aid station when I'm like 75 miles into a race and I'm looking over an aid station. Like I'm always saying like the food gravitates kind of towards you. I don't know how to describe that. But I think it is, um, it's been something that's been part of human, human ability for quite some time. It's not something I've learned per se from like a book. It just, when something salty looks good, it looks good. Um, yeah, that, that's very, that's very true. You know, there's, the, there's the idea that your body craves what it needs. You, on the other hand though, You've got so many different influences running through you. Because sometimes, even right now, I'll look at a bag of M&Ms and think, oh, I want those. I don't want the M&Ms. I want the association I have with M&Ms. I want the association of like coming home after school in third grade and, oh, there's a bag of M&Ms. It must mean that it's playtime. You know, we have emotional and psychological attachments to things. Uh, We have comfort food attachments. And so sometimes we make choices based not on physiologically what would actually make our body feel best but more emotionally or by habit or what other people have told us and that's what we're trying to uh sort of fascinating right you know that uh, is fascinating yeah so if i'm feeling down during a race and m&ms are my comfort food i might not need that it might be meeting my emotional needs not my physical ultra running needs Interesting. And it is interesting too, because you might pay a price for it. So if you feed, you know, the emotional self, well, the gastrointestinal self, <laughs> they throw a fit five minutes later. Uh, you know, a lot of times what we, we reach for out of association uh, could actually go south on us. And that's the thing we need to understand. Uh, you eat, you, let's say you eat a half a bagel. Well, you know, you could spike your insulin, your blood sugar could rocket up. And all of a sudden you go into a blood sugar slump. 
15 minutes later. So you might, it might've felt great in the moment, that bagel, uh, but you will pay a price for it physiologically a few minutes later. So I'm going to switch gears. I, I have a distinct memory, very, very distinct memory. I drove 45 minutes or maybe even an hour to run in Ohio when I was very, like very, very, I think it was my first trail run. I was having all kinds of injuries I listened to your, I, I listened to Born to Run on the way there, went out and changed my foot strike. And I want to hear more about form, whether, whether Eric goes into this or, or Chris, but it's such a distinct memory in my head, changing my form because I read uh, like a, a paragraph and I repeated it. I had the audiobook, um, and it was, it changed my whole running form. It helped my knees so much more getting my feet underneath my body as opposed to heel striking. Um, how, how do you take those concepts and from both your guys uh, writing and, and published books and kind of apply them here in the ultimate training guide? I, I have to hear more about that. Maybe Chris, if you don't mind, um, starting and then eric i want to hear more about kind of how you guys are fixing form and taking those stories and now making them more uh, applicable to to people reading this new book wait i gotta hear your insane story hang on you're saying that while driving to your first trail race ultra you trail decide spontaneously in trail run okay Okay, your first trail run, you decide spontaneously in the car, hey, you know what? I'm going to add to this new experience something else completely new. You you decided to change your foot strike to before starting your first trail race, trail run? Trail. It was my first trail run, and I, I wrote about it in my book, actually. It was like I, I went off on – there were like a deer – there's like a deer trail path. Um, I didn't know what a trail looked like. And this is uh, this is where the Mohican 100 takes place, yeah. and so I eventually get out there, and I'm like, I felt this presence, and I swear it felt like Micah was. I I've never met him. I never had met him, obviously, and I felt his presence there. Like I could hear the trees blowing. I felt one with the universe on that trail. And yeah, of all things, it was like midway through Born to Run. There was a few comments that I was like, oh, like my foot strike's totally off. And so I just applied it while I was out there because I was such a rookie and I was totally off trail. I, I wasn't even on the Mohican trail for quite some time. <laughs> So how did that work out for you? Did it? It sounds like it worked out really well. It was life changing. Yeah, I mean, getting my feet underneath me, my body started working the way it's supposed to. Not like uh, a lot of the advertisements that I had seen um, for foot striking. And big shout out to you, Patreon supporters. You've heard this episode. You get a sneak peek at most of my episodes. Couldn't do this without you guys. Really appreciate your support. Big shout out to Exoskin. If you haven't already, check out their toe socks, regular socks, compression gear. It's all super high quality. Check out the show 
notes for the best coupon available for exoskin they've been a huge supporter of everything i do big shout out to tannery outdoors as runners we spend a lot of time outdoors in the sun it's important that we're protecting our skin tannery offers clean sun care products like spf lip balms mineral sunscreen and thereafter sun restorative moisturizer tannery just launched a new product which is their traditional sunscreen this leaves zero white cast and similar to the mineral sunscreen in that it is sweat resistant and packaged from recycled materials. This is a great company, high quality products. Definitely check them out. Check out the show notes for a coupon code for Tannery Outdoors. It was unbelievable. There were a few few things that took place there over over the year, but I mean, eventually I... I, I couldn't ask for more. I, I'm more about sharing my experience and just trying to inspire others to get out there and make the change for the better. You know, ordinarily, I'd be almost kind of cringing, like, oh, no, uh, this guy decided on this new experience, he's going to radically overhaul his foot strike. Because <laughs> Eric and I have seen a lot of people who decide to sort of translate the printed word into action and do it under extreme circumstances, and it ends, ends up really badly because a lot of people, when they see land forefoot, they think that means like tippy toe, like on the ball of their foot, and so that their heel never touches the ground. So they'll set off like, okay, I'm going to run 10 miles today, and I'm going to forefoot strike. And basically, what they end up doing is tippy toeing for 10 miles, and they end up with, with calves that are you know ready to explode like water balloons on them. And but in your case, because it's on a trail. And I think the reason why trail running is exploding in popularity for a lot of reasons, the serenity, the beauty of it, the exploration. But I also think that a trail is such a wonderful self-correcting environment because you are forced to have irregularity of foot strides. You're not just going to be doing the exact same uh, foot strike over and over and over again because the trail is going to force you to go longer, shorter, left and right, up and down. You're going you know, over logs and things. And, and secondly, just because as you change velocity, as you go downhill, you will learn, Oh, okay. My heel needs to come down on the ground, not hard, but it's still going to kiss the ground and come back up again. So you might've just accidentally I found w- like the best possible bio. I, I was ready to give up. I, I had just done <laughs> concrete, concrete sidewalks and, and bike, bike paths. Um, and I was probably within a month of just throwing in the towel not uh, you know i wasn't a runner i had never run 15 miles continuously so yeah yeah i've done a few 200 milers now and i i uh, again it's just one little example of of the millions of people that you guys have inspired and and changed their lives for the better but um eric i want to hear more about changing my form and and how you're going to help others changing form with the uh, the training guide here? Yeah, so you know if we look at Chris, Chris mentioned Steph Curry. If we look at any other sport, any other activity, golf, baseball, hockey, all of that, swimming. I'll, I have a swimming story for you. And it, all of those have proper technique that is taught to be as efficient as possible at that sport. But we don't have that for running, and that's it's so insane. And 
our, our bodies are meant to work in one way. And what people, I, I hope people really start to understand is that if, if we can run with good form, that really affects how our whole body activates muscles that ultimately can take away the tug and pull and tightness that we have been brainwashed to believe is par for the course as runners. We don't need to be excessively tight. We don't need to have tight hip flexors and tight IT bands and all that stuff that's in, in, in all the stuff out there about injuries is that that's, that's telling us something. And it's a biomechanical thing. If we use our bodies better, if we use our muscles better, our rubber bands and springs, that is going to take away all this tightness. And if, if nothing else, I hope people can start to experiment with our quick five minute fix in the book and the exercises to really understand how good they could feel. And therefore, going back to Chris's story and Born to Run, the more you run, the better you should feel. And I think that's a really a concept that even runners don't understand, let alone non-runners. I love it. Um, what, what are some other bigger topics that you guys cover in the book? Because I know there's I, I mean, I'm I'm trying not to share things, but I also want to see what you guys want to share. But l- what other big topics are 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 written about here and might yeah, alter I'll, I'll, might alter people's views on on certain topics? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in real quick, quick, and then Chris can jump in. But you you talked about your experience with trail running, and and Chris then mentioned how that may have been the best way to to transform your running. Well. A lot of the strength and form drills and skills that we have in the book are I've taken from the benefits athletes get from running on trails and mountains. So therefore, anybody can get this benefit that we get who are able to live in, in the mountains. Okay, so it's, it's a very, very potent but very, very simple way to basically make your body bomber proof. And with that, I, you know, I'd like to kind of speak to your listeners out there who are doing ultras. One aspect that we really dive into with the book is that many ultra runners who want to get better to either make cutoff times or even finish continue to focus on volume and running more in the book. We say, Hey, no, maybe speed development has to come first. Maybe you have to, improve your potential and get faster just like elite runners do through their lifetime and then apply it to endurance to really catapult your ability what what if i'm having shin splints and i'm 200 pounds because and i should be more like 150 because work stress life stress the kids are screaming they need mac and cheese you know, like it's just life happens and maybe I'm 50 pounds heavier than I should be. How, how would you direct, um, you know, that type of athlete is volume going to help them reduce their weight or is food going to be the answer or speed work? Yes. All yes. And yes. Go, yeah, go ahead, Chris. I was going to say all of the above. I prefer yes, yes, yes. and yes. Hey, by the way, Rob, don't hesitate, man. Share away. Uh, we got no secrets. So anything that caught your eye in the book you want to talk about, 
feel free, man. Uh, give, awesome. give it legs. And so here's the thing about it. Here is the biggest message we would like to share with people. You know, it, it, humans evolved as long distance running animals. We're the greatest distance running animal animals in history. You know, no other creature on earth could ever run long distances as well as humans for a lot of physiological and evolutionary reasons. But what it leaves us with is, you know, we have these bodies created for movement, but we have these brains that are, are constantly trying to conserve energy at all costs. And for better or worse, our, our brains have won out in that tug of war. We have uh, developed so many ways to conserve energy. We never longer have to move. You know, you can lay on your sofa for like six days and never have to leave, you know, uh, other than the bathroom. So what we're trying to explain to people is oh, hopefully. that running distance. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. And then go for it. If that's your plug, go for it. But um, what we're trying to uh, tell people is that rather than looking at running as this one isolated thing that you do for 45 minutes as kind of a punishment for what you had for lunch, you need to integrate all aspects of your life into your running. And when you do, your running becomes more fulfilling and then running becomes a part of all aspects of your life. So we have a thing we call the free seven. And these are, these are seven aspects of your life that you can easily address, which will not only make you feel better overall, but will contribute to your running. And as your running feels better, they will contribute to all of your life. So there are things like food, form, fitness, footwear, family, fun and focus. Those are the free seven. And let me just give you an example like focus. So focus is our term for uh, pace. It's for how fast you're actually running. And most of us really only have one gear. You kind of, you know, you go out, okay, I got, you know, 45 minutes. I'm going to run my four miles, my 45 minutes. You hit the gear that will cover four miles in 45 minutes. And you end up doing the same gear every day for all of your runs, no matter what it is. But you have such a different range of gears, which apply to so many different kinds of runs. And so allowing people to understand that by focusing on the different gears, on the breathing that corresponds to those gears, you can radically change the effect of your running, you know, the, the consequences of your running, make your running feel much better. And those are the kind of things which we're trying to teach people. I mean, I love it. I, I saw a photo or two of yeah, a friend from previous podcasts recommending recipes. How are you integrating food into the book? This was a huge one for us because, you know, most people, unfortunately, get involved in running because of their relationship to food. You know, how, how many times have you talked to people and you say, hey, why'd you start running? Well, you know, I want to lose a few pounds. I want to get back into shape. Or the only reason I run is so I can eat whatever I feel like. But the problem with that is then, you know, your fork is now your coach. You're running in response to chasing calories. And once you do that, you're on this constant hamster wheel. You're constantly being dictated how you're running, how fast you're running, how far you're running in relation to basically how you feel about your diet and your body. And so what we're telling people is, look, there's a quick and easy fix for this. You can really dial in your nutrition and beyond just dialing in the nutrition you can really get in tune to those uh, red flags from your body when you're not eating properly. So what we treat and teach people is there's a simple two-week test you can do, which will put you on a good communication basis with your diet and nutrition. And that way, food's off the table. Like Food is no longer dictating how and why you run. And then you can turn your attention 
to other things about running that are more enjoyable. I, I mean, I love all of it. I, I subscribe. That, <laughs> truly, <laughs> truly. I mean, Eric, do you have anything to add to that? Um, I, 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 I'll, I'll add that I think we've come to the point where we've created so many labels for food and a way of eating that that takes precedence over maybe health and, and, and experimenting with what does make you feel good and bad that we, we place, we, we've got to eat a certain way because it's a label and a category. And that really can kind of desensitize us uh, with, with everything, with, with what Chris said of, of really understanding how foods make you feel. And it goes back to that feeling thing of, of you know, hey, we, we really can have that great awareness of what we put in our body that can create a good or bad feeling, which I always come back to is, you know, athleticism is awareness and we we need that awareness to, to be able to feel good and bad, whether it's form or whether it's food. I like it. It's a a, a funny thing, Rob, when I was uh, working on this, I reached out to a lot of runners that I knew had really smart ideas about fueling their bodies. And I reached out to them to have conversations and also to get some on-the-run recipes from them. And it was startling and heartbreaking to discover in chatting with them how many runners are struggling with eating disorders. Uh, often people you would never imagine. And yeah. they speak openly about this, so I'm not revealing any, any confidences by talking about it. But when I talk to like Lucy Bartholomew, who you look at Lucy, and Lu- Lucy is a, a human ray of sunshine. Uh, but Lucy has really struggled with eating disorders. Uh, uh, Amelia Boone, you know, Amelia Boone is carved out of like adamantium. You know, she's like one of Wolverine's claws come to life, tough <laughs> and strong person. But she has struggled uh, with eating disorders. Um, Jordan Marie Daniel, uh, our Native American runner friend, also. And you look at these three yeah. people, you think, man, maybe we should never have any problems in their lives. And so. What that reinforced for me is that we are so much at war with our bodies and our nutrition, when it should be the opposite. Nutrition should be the welcome thing that is powering us, and yet we've got so many distorted notions that really need to be sorted out. That, that was one of our major goals in this, is to make people make peace. You know, Not whether you're vegan or paleo or keto or anything like that. No, food is a nutrition source that will fuel you and lead you to more happiness. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I, I think some of the, I think it might be like overly scientific thinking about things where it's like, oh, there's an inverse relationship to your, you know, your weight to speed ratio or whatever it might be. And it, it gets taken to an extreme where it goes way into the, the tail of, of the, uh, you know, the statistical curve and it, it really hurts people and it. I mean, I've even heard of people over training and dying from it. Like it's, it's, it's sad. And I'm really glad you guys are sharing all this just fundamental wisdom that you guys have picked up over the past 15 years that couldn't have been written better. (laughs) 
And I, I like all the integration to photos too. I'm very visual. So um, I think it adds a lot to the book because I, I don't think you guys have had this many photos per page maybe ever. And these are the, they add to the story. They add to the inspiration. Um, whose idea was that? Oh, that, that was Chris, Chris is from the beginning that, that was really kind of, it, it maybe kind of started with that theme of the book. That's awesome. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. It's a funny thing because I was about to say, Eric, I wasn't quite sure you and I were so much on the same page. I, I'm, I, I, no longer can remember where an idea began, whether it was me or you, because there's only like a nanosecond of difference. Like you'll start to suggest something like, Oh yeah, good, good idea, dude. So our ideas very quickly became unified, like right from the get go. Um, but I, I do remember that one driving idea from the start was we want to make people realize how fun, joyful and communal running is and in the past my goal was really focused on story and actually i didn't want pictures in my previous books because i feel like photos get in the way of the story you know anytime you have a book and there's pictures in it to me you're interrupting the story to now look at a picture and rather than allowing that person or character come alive in your own mind you know where you basically dress it and create it for yourself and now the character is now living inside your brain. Uh, instead, I've just taken away all that fun, and I've just given you, oh, here's the guy looks like. So to me, I, I never wanted pictures. I felt that it really took away. You know, everybody should have their own notion of what Billy Bonehead looks like. Everyone should have their own image of what Gwit Jen Shelton looks like. I, I didn't want to have to provide that for them. But in this book, this is going to be different because I wanted people to see – if I say we're doing, you know, skipping for height, I want them to see exactly what that means. And if I see, if I'm trying to bring across this message that running is not reserved for people with blonde ponytails, like you're always seen on the cover of Runner's World, you know, but actually there's a lot of other people out there of different colors and gender orientations and body sizes and shapes and ages. I wanted to make that point loud and clear in your face every single page. Uh, we wanted this to be a book, you know, by and for all runners. Uh, Eric has this phrase, you know, running is for everybody. Running is for everybody. And we wanted to show that. I definitely, I, I picked up on that. I, I thought to myself, like how universal it felt, how human it felt. Like running is part of being human. It all made sense. Like it, it wasn't, um, it, it just clicked in my head, at least I, I really liked it a lot. Um, you know, what's funny about that, Rob was because we knew that we, we, we were afraid it was gonna be difficult to get all the photos we wanted. Uh, so we actually, uh, pre-game things. We set the photo shoot up before we even had a manuscript for the book. And it ended up really shaping the book because our friend Louis Escobar, who knows oh, every awesome. single yeah. runner on the yeah. planet. He knows runners that haven't been born yet. I think he actually has their cell numbers actually before they've <laughs> even been he, born. He probably so does. We reached out to, probably, right? We reached out to Lewis and said, hey, dude, this is what we want to do. We want all these different runners. Can you find someone the prosthetic, someone who's gender non-binary? And he's like, yeah, yeah, give me, give me 10 minutes. No, no problem. Uh, but we put this photo shoot together. Such a nice guy, by the way. 
the happiest dude yeah. around. We, we put this photo shoot together out in Colton, California, at our friend Pat Sweeney's, uh, the nudist ranch that he lives on, because it was a, it was a, a reserve uh, private place we could shoot. But what was so fascinating is an accidental byproduct is Eric was putting through our volunteer runners through a, a number of exercises and drills just for the purposes of the photographs. But what he found was these runners, many of them are extremely talented and accomplished, would actually struggle with certain movements. And we never expected that. But, you know, he would ask someone to do like a, a one legged squat or just balance on their forefoot. And he's watching them struggle. And it really dawned on us that, wow, like everybody has got some little wobble in their biomechanics that's going to lead to disaster down the line. And to us, it was really reassuring that we were on the right path with our book, that there is something out there for everybody, no matter how many miles they're logging, no matter how experienced they are, they've probably got a little bug in their system that if they don't identify it and treat it, it's going to cause problems that they may not be able to identify and could last for years. Eric, any, any, anything else on, on the photos that you had seen from like your perspective? I mean, yeah, so I'm taking myself back in the timeline. And I, I think if you remember, Chris, you didn't want a whole lot of storytelling or a whole lot of text. You <laughs> wanted you wanted the, the photos to speak for themselves and the training to speak for themselves. And then, if I remember right, you sent me the first chapter. And I'm like, dude, this is so good. We, we need more chapters like this in every chapter. And I think, I, I don't, it eventually became that. So we, there's much more words and text in Chris's amazing storytelling in the book that then complements the whole look and feel with the photos that I, I couldn't every, I was looking forward to getting a new, a new chapter every few days when Chris would send it to me. Um, and I'd read a few pages and have to go for a run because it was so inspiring. And so I'm, I'm glad that we had a loose idea of, how the pictures were going to play a part, but then ultimately how we found a really, really good balance with Chris's storytelling. I mean, can I just, okay, I'm going to share one insight yep. into the book. Go for it. Here, here you go. Like, you know, uh, cover your ears if you haven't seen it yet or whatever. <laughs> cover your eyes, I guess. Um, my favorite picture, and there's tons of them, is... It's a train of runners going through the forest. There's a dog essentially in the lead. The The smiles on people's faces, it's like really early on, but it just feels like trail running. Like it's a train of people. You don't normally get pictures of, of trains of people because you're all normally just running. And uh, I, it's beautiful. It just, it feels like trail running right out of the gates. Uh, but it does lead to... And I got tons of questions and try to stay focused here, but tell me about the the animal aspect of the book. I mean, Chris, you, you've obviously written um, a massive book on that whole concept, but tell me more about that and how it applies to training. There, there are a couple of factors at work. By the way, I, I love that picture too. And the, the woman in the front, Sienna, um, during that photo shoot, we kept referring to big Sienna energy, like, 
everybody, you got to <laughs> feel whatever Sienna feels all the time because she is just so, I don't know, man, just, just glowing. I, I love Sienna. Her face and, is you know, the picture. My, it's beautiful. Yeah. Her I totally face agree. is the picture. I agree. Yeah. You know what my favorite picture is? And I, I, I had to work for months. I would say it was like three months. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Eric? totally. You know talking about? I think it was longer than three months. <laughs> oh, man. This was a, a quest. So it is in the um, family section. Yeah. It's the lead photo of the family section, Rob. And it is uh, from Black Men Run Boston. And I saw this picture on Instagram. And it just struck me. I'm like, I love this picture. It is five or six or seven guys running down the street and they're all kind of splayed out. And it took me a long time to realize what I liked about it. And when I finally got it was because they're not looking at the camera, they're looking at each other and everybody's like shooting each other glances and they're yeah. laughing and they're having yeah. a good time. It, it's, it's like the kind of thing like, all right, who farted? It's one of those kind of things. No, it's like the paper, <laughs> like, all right, someone farted. Who was, was it you? No, it wasn't me. It was you. And they're, these guys are having so much. They're having fun. So much fun. Yeah. And it's early in the morning and they're running down the street. And to me, it captured that moment when, you know, if it's like a Tuesday morning run and it's cold and you don't really want to do it and you weren't going to, but your buddy's like shamed you into coming out. <laughs> and it's that transition moment where like uh, the first 10 minutes are like, God damn it. Why didn't I stay in bed? And then suddenly it's the 11th minute. And now you're a little bit warmed up and the sun's coming up and you're realizing Oh, I'm so glad I'm here. Like, I'm so glad I didn't blow his run off. And they, these guys captured that in that selfie. And also the fact that it's people of color, you know, that it's people of color running together down a city street with, uh, you know, joy in their hearts and fun on their faces and feeling that um, maybe an experience that other people who are more privileged have never had to worry about these guys can enjoy it as well. So That's cool. I love that picture yeah. for, that, for that reason. And which took me completely off what your question was in the first place, Rob. No, no, it's, it's a good highlight. I, I totally agree. And you mention it. And now that I think about it, I'm like, that's a very unique photo. I've never seen like, it, I just, it made sense when I saw it and I, I definitely remembered it, but now that you pointed out it, it means a lot more. And, and yeah, you're right. It's, it's amazing. There's a lot of amazing photos. It, it meant a lot to me too, because I saw that on Instagram and I reached out to these guys. I'd never met them before. And they're like, you know, what do you want the picture for against? Well, we're doing a book. And like, well, you know, actually black men runs a national organization. We're not sure if we can authorize using their logo. And we went back and forth. I did zoom conferences with them. I kept asking and begging and talking and, I, and just at the point when the manuscript was done, it was in the editor's hands. It was being copy edited. It was beyond the point of no return out of the blue. I get a message from saying, ah, you know, I can and use a picture. I'm like, all right. So I call the editor and she's like, God damn it, dude. All right, fine. But <laughs> it, it was so worth it because uh, I just, I just love that picture so much. But you I, know, I, have, Robin, I have a weird feeling yeah. you'll make their Saturday morning run at some point, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They're they're a member of the twenty six point true uh, marathon group we talked about. So cool. that's where I hope to uh, connect with those guys. But you had asked about running with animals, and one of our big goals for this book was we wanted to make this the practical guide for everybody who actually wants to know what they're going to do on their day's run. You know, a lot of 
the training guides are devoted toward uh, performance. You know, they're about totally. to train for the marathon. Totally. Right. And what I wanted was, like, yeah, but most days we're not really training. We just got the barking dog in the house we got to take out, you know, or um, we have a newborn in the house that we're taking out for a jog in the jog stroller, or uh, we got three buddies that we just want to connect with once a week. We wanted to make this a book not just for people training for races, but people who are just enjoying that daily run. And what I learned from the bizarre experience of turning a uh, rescue donkey into my running partner is that there is such an enormous psychological benefit that we get from collaborating with animals that a lot of us have forgotten. And so what we want to address in here is that not only are you doing yourself and your dog a service by, by making your dog your running partner, but you are really contributing to your own sort of psychological well-being that you're going to learn a lot. Uh, and it's not that difficult to run with a dog in a way that you're both really going to enjoy. I, I think it's awesome. I, you, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with Dion Leonard of Finding Gobi. Um, and I, I love the fact that you've written a book about a totally different animal. Um, and then now you're, you're applying how to go on a, a run with your pup. I mean, bigger question is like we're running out of animals for future books here. Like, Chris, what what are we left with here? How to run with your cat? Like, uh, I don't know if that's going to work. Bigfoot. You Bigfoot. Know you, you'd be surprised. There are nice hiking backpacks for cats. Oh, and cats seem to kind of enjoy it. Like it. I was... So I was at Badwater pacing uh, Dion. I was like, I just hope we find a turtle out here because um, that could be a whole book. Um, but, <laughs> um, tell me more. I mean, what aspects in this might be controversial? Like, I don't want to get you in trouble, but what chapter Chris did not make the book or, or like maybe Eric had an idea that just got chopped by the editor. Like, you know, I, I've been through that process, uh, not anywhere near you guys, but what didn't make the book that was like right on the edge of making it that just, you know, you can't make a book that's 500 pages, unfortunately, guys, like something has to go. Was, was there one or two elements that didn't make it? There was only one thing, and it wasn't because of the editors, it was because of me and my like ADHD. So Eric knows a million different exercises. Uh, he is kind of a genius at crafting exercises to really address all kinds of needs. But my attention span can't handle that. So uh, we would do something on, on fitness, and Eric would give me like 15 exercises. And I'm like, dude, 15? I will never do that. I will never do 15. You got to give me three. Yeah, but like here, here's the deal. He, he didn't tell me that until like two months later. So I thought I got him in. <laughs> I, mean, I think I made. I think I made requested fifteen. I think I might have told you. Now, the other thing about working with me, Rob, is that not only do I have limited attention span, super limited memory. So I may tell you, "Hey, dude, I really need fifteen exercises from you." And then Eric can give me fifteen. I'm like, "What the crap are you giving me fifteen exercises for, dude?" <laughs> This is outrageous. So it was contradictory commands. That was a big part of the problem. But um, maybe we could chalk it up to this rather than it, it being me being forgetful and contradictory, which is probably true. 
But also, I think what we were doing was real life testing things that there is nothing in this book that we haven't sampled on ourselves, our spouses, our friends to see if it really feels good and feels practical. Like, here's an example. We were really focused on figuring out a way to communicate proper running form in a way that was foolproof, like unmistakable. You do it. You can't mess it up. And that's actually more challenging than you think, because if I tell you like chi running will say, like lean forward from the ankles. Well, what does that mean? You know, does it mean, you know, is it kind of like from the waist a little bit? How far is it? 45 degrees and 75 degrees. It's, it's a difficult thing to tell somebody to do something and then have your words instantly show up on their bodies. And so Eric and I brainstormed on this for a long time. And we realized, well, look, we're talking about two things. It's foot strike and it's cadence. You know, your foot meeting the ground and how often. And so that's how we developed this idea of running barefoot to the, to the tune of Rock Lobster by the B-52s. You know, B-52s song, it's 90 beats per minute. So that's what you want to hit, 90 beats per foot per minute. And if you run barefoot in place, you can't heel strike, you can't overstride because it just won't work. So we came up with little things like that, like our five-minute running form fix is take your shoes off, stand with your back to a wall, put on Rock Lobster, run in place, boom, you're done. And then we would test it. I have my... You know, all the videos, demonstrations are my wife. I, I lined her up against a, a fence in the backyard, put on a rock lobster, and she demoed it. And she's like, yep, that works. So that that's a winner. That's in the book. Nice. That's, I mean, is that on social media? <laughs> I think it'd be hilarious and awesome. But um, throwing it out there for. Sure. Um, let me hear about the 90-day program and then i'm going to throw some random ones at you and i appreciate both your guys time i know you're super busy and spread out across the the u.s right now like i I truly appreciate all this time and all these insights i know you're gonna inspire a lot more people and this book's written for everyone i think every single reader will take something away from this book so it's it's very universal and it's pretty amazing it's like nothing i've ever seen before from you guys or anyone else thank you for thank you for that rob uh yeah eric talk about the 90 days this is this is going to be when i said i didn't want to have a lot of pros in it is because i felt like the book was driving to this you know it's one thing to give inspiring messages it's another thing to say okay here's how you get down to business and get it done and this is the 90-day program and eric's real accomplishment in this was we wanted something that would apply to every single runner, whether you're a beginner, you're a veteran, you're somewhere in between a dabbler. We wanted to create a reboot so that everybody could bring themselves back to factory preset, get their form, their fitness, their focus dialed in. And that's what I came up with. Yeah. And and with that, you know, I think it's really, really hard from a coaching standpoint and a reader to hear that, hey, this program is for everybody, but it, it, it really is. And it, it if we take the veteran runner who's maybe been running for a very long time, they tend to fall into doing all the same things all the time. Well, maybe their easy run is becoming a little bit moderate and they've lost their efficiency. They, they've gone from using four gears to two gears. This is a reboot for them to maybe go back and build a foundation and improve their speed a little bit. 
and in, in understanding what proper gears are for them to continue to improve. And I, I, I've coached every type of athlete and I, I, I truly believe that there's always a way for an athlete to get better. And a lot of times what needs to take place is an open mind that they need to maybe change things up. And for that veteran runner, this is that reboot. This is going to go back and, and improve your potential. For the beginning runner, hey, it's going to give them a starting point where they have no – takes all the guesswork out of it. And all they do is need to follow it and, and, and build a, a, from a, a blank canvas. And so this really, really takes everything I've done in the last 40 years to put it into a – a program that's going to really benefit everybody. And it, it, it's kind of, there's three components to it. There's, there's a strength or what, what we call a skills component where you're working on various skills to improve your strength and your form. And then there's a, a run workout, so to speak, attached to the day. And so each workout is very, very specific to the purpose of the day, but it also allows you to get that feeling of different different efforts, like we talked about at the beginning of the cast. Um, so it's 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 every day's different, you know. So it, you're never doing the same thing over and over and over again. So we're really shocking the body for every runner out there to catapult their running to take it to really any distance, any, any desired length they want to. And that, that was ultimately Chris's goal with Born to Run. When we first started working together, you know, his goal was, yes, to complete the 50-mile race in the Copper Canyon, but his bigger goal was just to be able to get to the point where he could go out no matter where he was to run as long and as far and as fast as he wanted to. And he accomplished that. And that, that's, that's kind of how the, the book starts out is, is dealing and talking about Chris's transformation these last 15 years. I, I mean, I love it. I, I definitely recommend checking out the book. Um, I, you know, when you guys work on Born to Run 3, please give me a call. At minimum, I'll try to take a few photos. Um, there you go. No, no one will want to see a selfie of me, but, um, <laughs> and <laughs> so really quick, we are going to give away, cause this book goes on sale, uh, December 6th. We're going to give away like two or three copies. So stay tuned. I want to hear how best to give away those copies. So I'll get some insights from you guys. I'll probably leave, I- I'll leave some some hints or, or something to that effect, maybe on my Instagram account um, and, and yeah. definitely tag you guys so we can, you know, get word out, but that'd be um, fun. enough of this like serious run talk because you guys, you guys have, you know, you have it all down with your books. I want to hear, uh, you know, the hard hitting questions. I'll start with Eric and I want to hear Chris, like, oddly satisfying song that you listen to whether you're running to it or not i mean do you listen to music while you run if so is is there an embarrassing song that you kind of enjoy that picks you up all right so this this is in the fun chapter we we go into should you run with with music or not 
And we, Chris was actually <laughs> able to pull in his good friend, Rick Rubin, to help us make this decision. So I'll, I'll leave that up to suspense. But mu- music's a big part of my life. And um, I, I'm a huge Clash fan, so they're always my go-to. But that, that artist that maybe I'm embarrassed to say I'm listening to right now is Lady Gaga. She's got nice. it going on. Chris? Uh, I'll go with a different lady, Lady Southpaw. So this is a there you go, deal, man. I don't know if you've heard the song Born to Run 2, T-O-O, Rob, but uh, <laughs> part of this whole book research was we were looking at, hey, should you run with your earbuds in or not? And Eric discovered there was a runner in New York named Lady Southpaw, a punk musician, who created her own album of 180 beat per minute songs. So she could listen to her own music while she's running the New York City Marathon. And uh, we reached out to her to interview her. And she ended up writing this song called Born to Run 2, which I now, I cool. love it, but Very I have cool. no choice. because it is, it is wired into my brain for life. So I got to admit, like I for my 200 milers when I was doing the Triple Crown, I uh, I had an extensive playlist. And, and one of the songs, it was like a Justin Bieber song that came on. And uh, the lyric is like, we have like millions and millions of miles to go. Or it was something where it's like, while I was out there hearing that lyric was just not, not performance enhancing at all. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of had the reverse depressing effect. So um, what's your go-to food or or drink post race, post run, post whatever that activity is. I mean, is there a, a, a beer you grab or, or a, like kind of a out of the typical, out of the book type food that you would go to? Yeah. yeah. Me, I, I'm experimenting with Pignole in not only drink format, but also in a pre-run kind of mixture that going back to our feeling is, is, just kind of a superfood that I'm experimenting with right now. So cool. Um, that, that's that's going to be my winter, my winter time. It goes with some of the recipes we have in the book. You know, that's funny because it's mine too. So I think about pinole. So you might remember pinole is that ground corn superfood that the mm-hmm. Tatomata use. And they use it not only in their daily diets, but during their long endurance runs, they'll carry a little bag of pinole on their waistbands and and uh, mike and would do the same thing he'd have a little bag of pinole in his pocket and instead of like a shots or a gel or a power bar he'd have pinole but you you couldn't get it in the u.s uh it just wasn't available and a couple of companies um masconima and pinole blue uh, these are very small kind of garage uh, operations have started producing really high quality pinole and what we found is which was really cool so we were visiting some new friends in arizona Chelsea Luger and her husband, Thash Collins, they're Native American athletes and wellness experts. And we were about to go for a run with them. And they go, hey, uh, you guys want some chewy? And we're like, oh, what's that? I thought it was like chewing tobacco. Yeah. And they pull out a bag of what is basically Native American pinole, you know, indigenous to the Arizona area. It's the same as the pinole that the Talamata use. And so they dump it in a bowl, put a little bit of almond milk in and some honey. And Thash goes, check this out, dude. It tastes exactly like honey smacks. And so uh, we start to spoon it up like, God damn, this is really good, man. This is like like my five-year-old favorite <laughs> breakfast. So, but I've also started experimenting. Actually, after a run, I prefer coffee instead of beer. And I don't know if it's my like 
caffeine dependence or not. But I really started digging uh, a drink called Atole de Pinole, which is basically heated almond milk with a little bit of pinole, uh, some spices, and a couple of shots of espresso. And there's something about it where no matter what the run is, no matter what the weather, about two miles before I'm done the run, automatically I just start getting an Atole craving. Like I can't, like I start looking forward to the finish of the run because I'm looking forward to that big mouthful of that like spicy drink. I, I I was just out in Chamonix, my my wife and I, and we were uh, indulging in too much espresso, like <laughs> to the point where like I had to have a espresso when I came home. Um, so I, I can't even imagine the concoction there. Like you guys need you guys need like your you know other other people in the past. I'm not going to throw out names have. <clears throat> have put together nonprofit food companies that have been very successful and I feel like born to run like as a nonprofit food brand would be something I'd, I'd definitely purchase from. That is an interesting idea. I really like that idea. Although it's hard for me to get my brain away from you and your wife sitting out in a cafe in the shadow of the Alps, having a nice croissant and a, Cafe Ole, like that is living, dude. Chamonix I mean, is he- heaven on earth, right? I was so th- I I had a film project out there, Marianne Hogan, who was leading at one point. Yep. And she took second. And she had taken third place at Western States. I I just believed in her and was like, let's do this. We're we're gonna do this trip. It seemed crazy at the time and when she rolled in second place, it was just like, wow, hard, hard to right. comprehend. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I didn't take a second for granted out there. I mean, it, it is heaven on earth. But let's see. I have one last question for both you guys. You guys have both written books, very, very successful books. You probably write every day. As a writer myself... I want to hear when's the best time of day for you guys to write. And then as a follow-up, what's your favorite paragraph or like favorite page where the words came together, like maybe a one-time event where you might never be able to recreate it. Let's hear from Eric. Maybe if you don't mind best time for creativity writing. And then I got to hear the best the best of the best, the the paragraph where you go to bed at night and you're just like, yes, like I nailed it. Yeah. So best time of day for me is definitely in the morning. Um, that's, that's my espresso time yeah. and what, where I, where I, I tend to visualize and then I'll journal about my visualization and, and kind of the, the outcome of that visualization of what I saw for the day or, or whatever I'm thinking about. And also the best time of day is anytime I'm running it, that that's, you know, that that's how I wrote my book is that I, I would go out and go for a run. And I, my, I tend to not be very, um, articulate when I talk, but when I go for a run, I'm very articulate in my mind. And so I would either stop and write or, dictate into the phone what I was writing in my head because as soon as I got back, I could sit down and that thought would be completely trash again. 
Um, so that to me running aside from all the physical stuff we get from it is a very, very creative time for me. Um, and then that has kind of through this book process, uh, has really taken me to a, an interest in filmmaking and telling stories through film. And I'm, I like that because now I have a beginner's mindset again that I've cool. also taken back to my running. I mean, Eric, I'm, I'm like full blown dyslexic and Chris, I'm hyperactive and ADD and all those good things. So I, I couldn't relate to you guys more. Like I, Eric, I see how you see things visually regardless yeah. if you're dyslexic or not. Um, and then, yeah, I feel the energy of Chris and like just the bombardment of ideas and everything. So I, I couldn't relate more to you guys. Eric, was there one paragraph or is there one page where you, you kind of smiled to yourself? You know that, um, not to put I, you on I, the spot. To, to, to be honest with you, <laughs> to be honest with you, I don't think so. I think there's been a, a few times in my athletic life that I've experienced the zone. Yeah. And I can remember those times very vividly. And one time was more than 40 years ago. And so to answer your question, that moment that you're asking about happened when we got settled in the Copper Canyon and Chris and I just caught each other's eye. And to me, I knew my life had changed. And so that that's, that's kind of my answer to a roundabout answer to your that's question awesome. is that I don't know I've had that writing experience yet. You will. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's a really cool experience to share. And then Chris, let's hear about your, your kind of creativity time in the day. And then if you've had one or two experiences that, you know, are, are satisfying to the core. Yeah. I'm glad you asked Eric first, cause that gave me a chance to like run around and like get my answer ready and <laughs> look up information. So, uh, I am now prepared. So the first question is the easiest because I learned early on that I can only work at nights. I, I don't get anything done during the day. I think, Maybe like the human animal is just wired to be like solar powered because if the sun is up, I can't sit still. I want to be outside seeing what's going on. And so when I started working on Born and Run, it was like my first long book project. And I tried to sit down at like five in the morning and work all day. And then I was just distracted and looking for, you know, things to play with. And I realized, you know what, I'm just going to like drain the tank all day. And then work at night. And that's what I did. So, you know, we lived on a farm in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So I would go out and cut firewood, work on fences, deal with the animals, buck hay, whatever it took until seven, eight o'clock at night when my physical motor was winding down. Then my brain was focused and I could work from like 7 p.m. till about one in the morning and be way more effective, way more efficient than I was during the day. So for me, if uh, the sun's up, I'm useless. Sun's down, I can I can really get cracking. And as soon as you asked about that flow state where a series of words came together, I knew exactly what my answer was going to be. 
And I quickly have scrambled, scrambled over here to the laptop to look it up. So, you know, when, when Caballo uh, went missing in 2012 and we all went down to look for him, I then wrote an article for Outside Magazine about that search. And I remember coming up with a way to describe him and sitting back going, dude, you're at the finish line. Like, this is it. You've hit, you've, you've summited. You hit the peak. Everything after the sentence will always be downhill. So if you guys don't mind me reading this to you, this I comes from a, yeah. the piece I wrote for outside. And, and I don't know, maybe it speaks to me, but I was talking about what happened with uh, Caballo. So after Born to Run came out, here, here you got this wacky dude living in a handmade hut at the bottom of the canyon. And all of a sudden, he's like a national figure. And people are like asking him to come and give talks and sign shoes and things. So here's what I wrote. I said, uh, he became an accidental icon and I love the way it didn't soften his raw edges a bit. Minimalist movement. He couldn't care less, even though he'd been moving minimally for 40 years and had adopted the Talamata taste for toe freeing sandals long before five fingers were associated with anything besides shoplifters. He remained searching and skeptical, sunny and surly, a true cowboy who picked his own name, went his own way, and was his own horse. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I dug yeah. it, man. I thought it got him, yeah. and it was, it was fun to write. I truly appreciate you sharing that. I appreciate you, both you guys, writing, inspiring and like keeping true throughout all the years. And, and this is just, you know, more like this should all be a, a volume collection that you can, you can purchase at once. Like I, every, every one of your guys books and every one of the stories within are, are truly amazing. And I know the running community appreciates all the effort, all the hours, all the pain and agony through the editing process and uh, check out born to run to the ultimate training guide. I will put a link in the show notes. I know there's going to be, there's going to be an audio version or an audio book, correct? Along with the, the physical book has beautiful photos and then I'm sure you'll have a digital version. Is that correct? Yeah, there's a Kindle version, and also there's definitely an audio version being recorded in the UK right now. I assume it'll be nice. available in the US as well. So again, this drops December 6th, and I'm going to give away two or three copies, so stay tuned for that. I will share that detail in the show notes when it becomes available, along with on my Instagram page. Thank you, guys so much for taking your time truly truly appreciate it chris and eric fantastic man that was totally fun rob thanks a lot and that was episode 218 i hope you guys enjoyed it big thank you to chris and eric just too much fun to have them on they're always welcome on this podcast and definitely check out their book born to run 2 it is out now check out my instagram page within the next 24 48 hours we're going to be giving away two copies along with Tannery Outdoors is going to give away two sunscreens, two lip balms. So hopefully we'll have four winners in total. Check out my Instagram for more details there. But yeah, thanks again to Chris and Eric. Shout out to Exoskin, Tannery Outdoors, and you Patreon supporters. Most importantly, don't forget to enjoy your training. Have a great week.